Amen. If you'll open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, that's where we're going to be today. As a church, we're journeying through the gospel of Luke. And what we're seeing in these several weeks as we read and study Luke 4 is we're seeing the fingerprints of Jesus, the defining attributes, characteristics, passions of who he is and what he's come to do in our world and in our lives. And so we're studying that together just to kind of remind you of where we've been. We saw two weeks ago, we looked at the incarnation of Christ. We looked at God, the son, taking on human nature, taking on flesh and coming for us and for our salvation. And I wanted to take you in to kind of prepare your heart for what we're going to read today, the word we're going to receive from the Lord. I wanted to share with you a meditation written long ago by Augustine of Hippo on the incarnation to kind of set your mind and set your heart on what we're learning. So I want to read this to you. This is Augustine speaking about Jesus coming uh, as man. The word of the Father by whom all time was created, was made flesh and was born in time for us. He, without whose divine permission no day completes its course, wished to have one day set aside for his human birth. In the bosom of his father, he existed before all the cycles of ages. Born of an earthly mother, he entered upon the course of the years on this day. The maker of man became man, that he, the ruler of the stars, might be nourished at the breast, that he, the bread, might be hungry, that he, the fountain, might thirst, that he, the light, might sleep, that he, the way, might be wearied by the journey, that he, the truth, might be accused by false witnesses, that he, the judge of the living and the dead, might be brought to trial by a mortal judge." that he justice might be condemned by the unjust, that he discipline might be scourged with whips, that he the grape might be crowned with thorns, that he the foundation might be suspended upon a cross, that courage might be weakened, that security might be wounded, that life might die. To endure these and similar indignities for us to free us, unworthy creatures, he who existed as a son of God before all ages without a beginning deigned to become the son of man in these recent years. He did this although he who submitted to such great evils for our sake had done no evil. And although we who were the recipients of so much good at his hands had done nothing to merit these benefits. Begotten by the Father, he was not made by the Father. He was made man in the mother whom he himself had made, so that he might exist here for a while, sprung from her who could never and nowhere have existed except through his power. Man, what a meditation, what a declaration of who Jesus is and what the incarnation means. We saw two weeks ago that the reason for Jesus becoming a man was for us and for our salvation. So he's been seeing, well, what does that mean? Explain that. Let's explore that. And that's right where Dr. Luke is taking us as Jesus launches his public ministry. 
Last week, we saw one way of understanding this idea of God becoming man for us and for our salvation was that Jesus was the last Adam, where the first Adam, the first of mankind, had great potential, great calling, great vocation, this incredible future, but left a legacy of death that's impacted us all. The last Adam, Jesus, leaves a legacy of life that offers to all of us an invitation into a new family, a new way, a new hope, a new, a new community, a new future, a life marked by his life. Jesus is the last Adam. Luke showed us that last week. Today, as we continue forward, we're gonna see that Jesus is the anointed king. So turn in your Bibles with me to Luke 4, verse 14. And we're going to read about Jesus coming out of the wilderness, out of his temptation, and making his way into the spotlight of his community. Luke 4, 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit, the Spirit being the Holy Spirit, to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he, being Jesus, he taught in their synagogues, their version of a church, kind of like this, and was being glorified by all. So he returns from the wilderness. He's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He begins going from synagogue to synagogue or church to church, teaching, and his teaching had authority. It had power. It had this goodness that was on it that people began to glorify him. They began to say, wow, have you seen Jesus? Have you heard of this new teacher that's come and he's teaching the word of God with authority. Well, Luke takes us into one of those particular scenes, a really important scene in the life of Jesus. Jesus returns to his home. And Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read, similar to how I'm reading to you. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. So the scripture that he was reading that day was from the book of Isaiah, or in their day, the scroll of Isaiah, and he's going to read it to the people of God. He unrolls the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and a recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 20, and Jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogues were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus reads this very poignant, prophetic, pregnant even prophecy about this coming leader, about what God was going to do. And then he says, that is fulfilled in me. These are my fingerprints. This is who I am. Over the coming weeks, we're going to break this kind of mission statement down line by line by line, because I'm jealous for you and for us to see the goodness and the beauty of Jesus' plan, his mission. In a world with so many counterfeit claims about Christ, 
I want you to be able to see it's not that, it's this. It's this. And so today we're going to start with the first phrase, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Next week we'll pick up with to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, when Jesus reads this in his day to his community, to his culture, it's loaded with cultural significance that might be lost on us some 2,000 years later. But to them, it meant something very specific. In their day, in their culture, in their history, the people that were anointed were kings. The way that kings were put into power was they were anointed by the prophets of God. They were anointed with oil, which was a prophetic picture of the Holy Spirit of God coming upon the king. It was a sign of demarcation. It was a sign of power. It was a sign of authority. It was a sign of God's blessing that this king was to lead the people of God. Kings were looked up to in their day. And I want to take you into one particular story about a king because I want you to see that Jesus is the new king. And so I want you to understand what he's saying here. So if you'll go backwards in your Bible a bit to the most famous king in Israel's history, King David, we're going to go to 1 Samuel 16 so that you can see what his hearers would have understood when he began to read this scripture to them. So 1 Samuel 16, where the scene is, we have Samuel, who is the prophet, and he has, uh, he's the one that appointed Saul. Saul is the first king of Israel, the people of God. Saul, who had this calling, had this anointing, had this vocation, abdicated it, forfeited it by his own personal choices and failures. He turned from God and turned from God's call on his life. And Samuel is grieving along with the rest of the nation at this tremendous turning. And the Lord begins to speak to him to stop grieving that God was doing something new. We'll pick it up in verse 16. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being the king over Israel? I want you to fill your horn with oil. What's that? Like a ram's horn, right? that he was to go and fill with oil. It's what prophets used to anoint things, to, to declare a new king even. He said, I want you to go fill up your horn with oil, and I want you to go. I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king from among his sons. So God speaks to Samuel. It's time to fill up your horn with oil. It's time to go anoint a new king. Stop grieving. I'm doing something new. So in verse six, Samuel has gone to Jesse's house. He's called for Jesse's sons. He's there with this word of the Lord that there's a new king. It's a new day. And here's what happens. When they came, he looked on Eliab, one of the sons, the oldest son, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord spoke to Samuel and said, do not look on his appearance or on his height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. If you're new to Christianity or you've been a Christian for a long time, 
That is a wonderful verse right there that gives you insight into who God is. God is not looking at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. The Lord speaks to Samuel, it's not this son. Well, the other sons come before Samuel and each time the Lord says, nope, that's not him. That's not the one you're to anoint. That's not the one you're to appoint. That's not the new king. They go through all the sons that were presented to Samuel and he's like, Jesse, um, I don't know. God sent me here. Do you have another son? Jesse says, well, I have one more. He's out. He's tending the sheep, the youngest son. And Samuel says, go get him. That son is David. David was the youngest son tending the sheep. And he comes in, and this is what happens in verse 11, or in verse 12, Jesse sends and brings David in. Now David was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. But no, we've already seen clearly that God is not looking at him based on external appearances. God is looking at the heart. And then God says, arise, anoint him, for this is he. This is the new king. And in verse 13, then Samuel takes the horn of oil and he anoints David in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. That the spirit of God was upon him, that he was anointed, that he was appointed, that he was God's chosen king. He was the one meant to lead the people into all of God's ways, into all that God had for them. That was David. David went on to be the greatest king in Israel's history. If you know anything about him, he had a deep heart for the Lord. He wrote most of the Psalms. In fact, God said that David was a man after his own heart. And David ruled well. He had failures along the way, but at the end, God said, David fulfilled my purposes for him in his generation, and he led Israel into a time of blessing and prospering. He was so revered that people kind of compared the other kings to David, and in fact, prophecies were given by God through the prophets that one day there would be a new king that would come that would be kind of like David, and this new king would restore the people of God and would lead them into their destiny. In Israel, in Jesus' day, there's this hunger and this expectation, this cultural longing for this new king, the one that would lead them out of their bondage, out of their captivity, out of their brokenness under the Roman Empire would lead them into all that God had for them. When Jesus, going back to the book of Luke, when Jesus reads this scripture, every one of his hearers is thinking, wait, he just said that was fulfilled in him, that the spirit of the Lord was on him, anointing him, He's the new king. That's what they would have understood. I want you to see that today because we need to see that in order to understand the rest of what Jesus says about anointed to bring good news to the poor, sight to the blind, liberty to the captives, freedom to the oppressed, proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. This is a king making an inauguration speech about the nature of his kingdom and his mission. Jesus is not presenting himself just as a teacher he is going to teach, but he's presenting himself as the new king here to lead the people of God. 
So we see that Jesus is the last Adam here to heal the world. Jesus is the new king here to lead the people into the kingdom of God. That's significant. We're gonna see that theme throughout the rest of the gospel of Luke. Question for all of us today, have you made Jesus your king? He is the new king here to lead the people of God. Is he your king? I wanna show you one other thing in this passage of scripture that's important for us as we're journeying in Luke is that Jesus here is speaking about the Holy Spirit being active in his life and his ministry. Pastor Francis Chan says for us Christians in the West, the Holy Spirit can be called the forgotten God. Kind of we're familiar with God the Father, we're familiar with God the Son, but we're not really sure who the Holy Spirit is. It's said of Jesus, though, that the Holy Spirit was his best friend. And so as we're looking to know Jesus and to follow him, we need to grow in our understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and the way he was at work in the life of Jesus. And so I wanna show that to you today. We're gonna do that by going first to the Nicene Creed. We looked two weeks ago at the incarnation of Jesus and we used the Nicene Creed, this essentials of the faith put together by the early church fathers and affirmed by the entire Christian church through history. Orthodox Christianity is based on this creed, the summary of what the Bible teaches. And I wanna take you in today, not on God the Son, that's where we looked two weeks ago, but into who the Holy Spirit is. And so if we can pull up the Nicene Creed, We see that the creed starts out, we believe in God, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. It's God the Father. Then the creed goes on to say, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of the same essence as the Father, through him all things were made. So we have this incredible statement that we unpacked two weeks ago about who Jesus is. For us and for our salvation, Jesus came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and he was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate, and he suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again Uh, with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will not end. Man, that's exciting. And we believe, catch this, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son and with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. Let's stop here and let's make sure that we understand when we're saying the Holy Spirit is on Jesus who we're talking about. So the first thing that I want you to know is the Holy Spirit is God. He's not a lesser God. He's not a junior partner in the Trinity. He's not kind of working his way up. No, he's the Lord. He's the giver of life. So as Jesus, as the last Adam, is come to bring new life 
It makes sense that the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, would have this deep partnership with Jesus in this work of salvation. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. This is important because when we sing songs to the Holy Spirit, we're not singing just about the Spirit in a room, in a church. No, we're singing to God himself. We're saying, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. We're speaking him and we're giving him the honor and the worth that he's due. He's to be worshiped and glorified alongside the Father and the Son. When you pray, you can pray to the Holy Spirit, right? Because he's God. So we bring our requests before him and he is the one that spoke through the prophets like Isaiah that Jesus is reading about. That's who the Holy Spirit is. We've seen him at work in Jesus' life. He was active in the birth of Jesus. We've seen him that he's active in the early kind of launch of Jesus' public ministry. I wanna take you to one statement when John was about to baptize Jesus about the work of the Holy Spirit in and through Jesus. It's important for us to see. This is in Luke 3, so back just one chapter. Verse 15, John the Baptist, who we read about, right? He's preaching, he's baptizing people, and people are asking him, hey, are you the Christ? Are you the king? Are you the anointed one that God has sent? Luke 3, 15. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ, let me just stop there for just a second. So you realize Jesus' last name is not Christ, right? I'm Zach Daniel. Jesus' last name is not Jesus, Jesus Christ, right? Christ is a title given to him that means the anointed king. Messiah, another name that we give Jesus, actually comes the root word, like if you get into the grammar, comes from the idea of anointing with oil, So when they're asking John, John, are you the Christ? Are you the king? Are you the anointed one? Are you the one that's come for us? John answers saying, no, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This he who he's talking about, later they tell us he's talking about Jesus. And so we see not only was the spirit active in the birth of Jesus, but that Jesus' ministry is marked by this word that he is going to bring a baptism of the Holy Spirit to the people of God. That's important for us to see. Daryl Bach, who's a Luke scholar and teaches at Dallas Seminary, says that that promise right there, that declaration by John, Luke weaves throughout the gospel of John and on into his follow-up work, the book of Acts, demonstrating Jesus' life and ministry, fulfilling that prophetic promise that he would bring a baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's important because the Holy Spirit is not a secondary agenda for Jesus. It's not a side project that he gets to when he has a little time. No, this is central to the life and the ministry of Jesus, central to the early church, and it should be central to the people of God today that Jesus came to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. 
In verse 21, we see that Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit when he was baptized, right? The Holy Spirit descends upon him and rests on him. Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Holy Spirit, right? He was led by the Spirit in Luke 4, 1. It says, he, being filled with the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So he's anointed, he's filled, and now he's led. And we see him living this life following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. This is why I say the Holy Spirit is Jesus' best friend. Jesus' prayer life, his private prayer life was shaped by his relationship with the Holy Spirit. Luke 10, we'll get to this. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. You know, I actually did that verse a disservice. It says that Jesus, in the place of prayer, was filled with joy. So when he's praying that, he didn't do it like I just did it. Right? So let, 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 let's, let's read it. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to act it out. Flumageddon has hit my family this week, so a little foggy in the head, but you know what? We're going to do this, okay? So, so, right, at that time, Jesus, full of joy, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this was for your good pleasure. Right? But but know this, Jesus' prayer life was not dry, dull, here I am again, Lord. Thank you, Father. Right? And we want to sow in prayer, and there is, uh, let's be real, you can be bored in the place of prayer. But there's a relationship with the Holy Spirit that marked Jesus' life that didn't lead to boredom in the place of prayer. It led to the sense of joy and praise that infused his prayer life. Wow. Jesus' ministry was marked by the Holy Spirit. Luke 4, he returns from the wilderness. He returns in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to read about Jesus doing all sorts of miracles. And here Luke is showing us the power source for those miracles is the Holy Spirit and Jesus' relationship with the Holy Spirit. Jesus' ministry was marked by the Holy Spirit. Matthew 12, he said, But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So notice, he has a deliverance ministry over demons that's the result of the Spirit's work in his life. It's the power of the Spirit at work, right? And it's a demonstration, a declaration that the kingdom has come, that the anointed king, the new king, is bringing the kingdom. So every time we read, as we go through Luke, Jesus, seeing people delivered from demons, I want you to be on the lookout. It's the work of the Spirit working through them, and it's a sign that the kingdom has come. In other ways, in Acts 10, 38, it said, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and it went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. The Holy Spirit was with Jesus in the crucifixion. All of his earthly friends left, but the Holy Spirit did not leave him. Hebrews 9, how much more then will the blood of Christ, 
who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. So the spirit was with Jesus in his darkest hour. That's the kind of friend that he is. Now, I share all those things with you because I want you to know Jesus more. That was one of our goals in going through the Gospel of Luke. And if Jesus had this robust, vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit, if we want to know Jesus, we need to see that. And this is the beginning of a theme that we're going to see throughout the Gospel of Luke is the Spirit at work in Jesus' life and the Spirit at work in bringing life to people in this salvation, right? But there's a second reason why I want you to know that, why I want you to see this. And this happens at the end of the gospel of Luke. At the end of Luke, Jesus says, having lived this life saturated, empowered, filled, baptized by the Spirit, he who began his ministry with the prophetic promise that he would bring a baptism of the Holy Spirit to the people of God says this to his disciples, Luke 24, 48. He said, you are witnesses of these things, talking to the disciples. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. I don't have time to go into it now, but if we dug into the context, Jesus is speaking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. He says, I'm gonna send that to you, my disciples. I want you to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus, who was empowered by the Holy Spirit, is saying to his people, I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. You are gonna be clothed with power from on high. You are gonna be my witnesses, right? He's speaking that this is about to come to his disciples. Fast forward into the book of Acts. Again, Luke wrote Acts wrote the book of Acts, and he chronicles what happened there in response to this command of Jesus. Luke said, when they had entered, they went up to the upper room. He's talking about the disciples. They go to the place they called the upper room, the place of prayer, right, where they were staying. And Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All of these, note this, were with one accord devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So they're in the upper room and they're praying, they're waiting, they're calling out and they're asking God to send the promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And in uh, chapter two, verse one, we see that fulfilled. When the day of Pentecost arrived about 50 days after the resurrection, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So why do I want you to know that Jesus had this deep relationship with the Holy Spirit? Because you have a calling similar to these disciples to follow King Jesus and to be people of the King. And the new kingdom of Jesus is marked 
by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the people of God. We read in the book of Acts, some people call it the the Acts of the Apostles. Other people say, no, 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 this should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because it is the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of those in the church. And the same Jesus that baptized his disciples here that we just read in the Holy Spirit is still baptizing disciples in the Holy Spirit today. And as we're pursuing this, as we're trying to be biblical Christians, for some of us, this type of experience uh, happens quickly, right? And you read that in the Bible. They'll lay hands on someone, boom, the power of the Spirit comes, and it's just amazing. For others of us, though, this is a thing to pursue. The disciples labored in prayer for 50 days. I don't know, what have I labored in prayer for 50 days about? What have you labored in prayer, been so hungry that you would be willing to go and to pray and to cry out, not for a minute, not, well, it didn't happen. I guess I just, God doesn't want me to have that. I'll go on. No, no, no. To take the promise of Jesus and to pursue God in prayer and let him dig the wells deep in your life. He will be faithful. God will not be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. If you sow to the Spirit, you will reap from the Spirit. And if we'll pursue God, whether it happens in a moment or it takes us a while to get there, God will be faithful to this promise to baptize us in the Holy Spirit, to fill us with power, to be his witnesses, to follow the King and to be the people of the kingdom. I wanna invite you to stand. We're gonna close with that. And we're gonna go to God together. The way we're gonna go to God is by taking communion because I want you to remember this is not just information to be absorbed. This is an invitation to enter into an authentic relationship with the living God. We take communion and we remember Jesus' body broken for us, his blood poured out for us, the, the sign of the new kingdom. And we take it and we remember our commitment to be people of the king to receive this gift of grace and to live as Jesus' kingdom people here in our generation. You can, as the worship, as Jeremy leads us, um, you can go and receive from the bread and the cup as you're ready. Return to your seat and take communion as you feel led. If you're not a Christian, if you've never made Jesus your king, maybe he's a good teacher, maybe he's someone that helps us do good, but you've never said, no, he has, he's king of my life. I wanna invite you today to make Jesus your king and to follow him. And if that's you, I'd love for you to come find me or one of our other pastors after the service. I'm gonna pray and we're gonna respond. Jesus, we love you. We just declare that you are the anointed king of God, bringing the good and beautiful kingdom, Lord. And we are your kingdom people, Lord. We just commit ourselves afresh again today, Lord. And I'm asking that we would be people that are baptized in the Holy Spirit and with power and with gifts and with character and with fruit and with ministry, that we would be your kingdom people, whether it happens quickly or it takes a while, Lord. Let us hunger and thirst for you. In Jesus' name, amen.